What's up guys and welcome to the I Went to Fashion School podcast with me, Renata. Apologies for my voice, I'm full of cold, but I really wanted to get this episode out by the end of this month. There are a lot of changes still taking place, but I'm still wanting to produce and share episodes with you all. So for the time being, I will be releasing episodes once a month, which is why I wanted to release this episode, even though I sound like this. So my next guest is Odwanayo Ojo. Yes, Ayo from The Fashion Archive. If you haven't come across his YouTube channel before, The Fashion Archive is basically a channel dedicated to fashion, fashion history, fashion news and runway analysis. For this episode, we had a great conversation on fashion journalism, Ayo's story so far and fashion in general. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at I Went to Fashion School Podcast to stay up to date with all the interesting things that are coming up. But for now, let's get into the episode. If you'd like to just start off a little bit by telling us about yourself. So um, I uh, currently I study fashion journalism at Central St. Martin and I run a YouTube channel called The Fashion Archive. Nice. And um, when did your interest in fashion begin? Um, it really depends on like what version of fashion we're talking about because I feel like fashion exists on different stages. Um, but I'd say I've been into fashion as a whole since birth because mm-hmm. my parents were really into fashion but um I wouldn't say I cared about it enough to like read books and stuff like that until 2014. Um what kind of triggered that in 2014 for you to decide to start reading books? It was mainly because I met two guys who were like Rick Owens and Comme des fanboys and I was so fascinated by what they used to talk about and what they used to wear that I just wanted to learn about it. Mm-hmm. And fashion is kind of like a rabbit hole. So you read one book about Yoshi Yamamoto and then you learn about the whole Japanese scene and then you start reading about all those different individuals and then it leads you to Paris. Um, and then before you know it, you're kind of stuck in the rabbit hole. Yeah. What was it that intrigued you so much about the way they spoke about Rick Owens or the way that they dressed? It was more because... I saw fashion in a very linear way. I thought it was just mm-hmm. very practical. You just wear clothes to wear clothes. And the type of stuff they used to talk about was so far-fetched and so different from my way of thinking that I just had to figure out what this side of fashion really was. Because I'm that type of person, like, if something is just way beyond my scope, I'd rather learn about it than just dismiss it. Yeah, that's true. And I think I can also... Um relate to the idea of, like you said, it being like a rabbit hole, but also the idea that fashion is not as linear as um, as as people think it is. For example, like how you mentioned Rick Owens and how he designs, there's a lot of thinking that goes behind um, the pieces that he makes and the collection that he kind of produces. Yeah. Um, so there is quite a lot to it than just the linear stuff or just, just the functional side of fashion. Yeah, most definitely. I know that you did um, chemical engineering as your first degree. Yeah. And what inspired you to then, and once you had finished that degree, to then say, actually, I'm going to commit myself to learning more about fashion. So when I was studying chemical engineering, the whole time I was working in fashion. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew that I wasn't really going to be an engineer unless one thing that I did think I'd do with my like engineering was become a materials engineer. Because mm-hmm. if you have an engineering degree, you can work for like sportswear companies or companies like Gore-Tex and develop new materials or new fabrics for use in like sportswear and stuff like that. 
and even then it kind of it just didn't interest me by the end of my degree I was like yeah it just isn't for me really mm-hmm. so I think I kind of always knew even before I went to uni I was working in fashion so it was just at the time and this is why I'm sort of against people going to uni too early or being forced to go too early because at the time I didn't really know what I wanted to do I kind of worked in fashion and it was a situation where I'm good at science subjects engineering gives you good prospects I might as well just do that yeah so I guess you had an interest in chemical engineering but you still saw how chemical engineering could still connect you to fashion in a way in terms of like the materials and the technology within fashion but for you you still didn't even take that route you've kind of now done fashion journalism yeah did that kind of progress as you continue to 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 work within fashion that you realized you wanted to um write about fashion more so than you wanted to work alongside the technical kind of fabrics that kind of complemented your um degree yeah i think everything for me was kind of one big mistake because and it's funny (laughs) i say that but it's like so my first job in fashion was a complete mistake and then off that job because everyone when they get into fashion they want to be like a designer it's like the cliche thing like yeah i want to be a designer i want to be the next ray kaku but that's what happens when you read too many books about designers Mm -hmm. so i kind of had this thing in my head that i wanted to be a designer and one of the jobs i did i worked with one of the tailors um for balenciaga Mm -hmm. and i quickly realized i will never be that skilled like i it's not like, I'm not going to be a great designer. It's not my calling. Like, not everyone can be good at everything. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that, I was thinking, okay, so what aspect of fashion can my skills work in? And I knew I had, I wouldn't say loads of knowledge, because, like, compared to, like, professors, obviously not. But, like, compared to the average person that says they're in fashion, mm-hmm. I consider myself to be more well-read so I thought it would make sense to like write about the stuff I'm learning about but then at the time I didn't really have a website blogging was kind of out of like the popular thing to do so I was like okay I'll just start a YouTube channel and kind of make video essays on everything I read about and that was kind of how my YouTube channel was born. Nice and in doing that kind of you then decided and so you then realized okay you want to do journaling as well like you want to not just stay in front of like the camera and do video, but you also want to actually write and be part of like the publication side of fashion. Yeah, exactly. So you also like mentioned that you did quite a lot of jobs within the industry whilst you were studying your first degree, but also after you'd finished as well. Yeah. Um, what were your highlights and challenges like so far? Yeah, so highlight, I would say I have two major highlights. Um, one was I got to go to a Balenciaga runway show because I worked with someone who worked at Balenciaga so nice. he could get me an invite to a show so I got to go to Paris and see a Balenciaga show which was insane for someone like me who had no connections whatsoever another high well just loads of highlights in general like I got to go to Savile Row one time I've got to host like I hosted an event at Sachi Gallery for a brand and then also there was a job I was doing where I was like a photographer and I got to go on these like massive shoots and I'd no. never like I'd done photography for so many years but I'd never like been on that level of shoots before and all the equipment and all the staff and stuff I found it really fascinating um and I guess yeah sorry what are you gonna say all right um 
from starting from like hearing about Rick Owens when you were younger to then finding yourself um, reading about fashion and learning about fashion, but now actually being in the industry and being live in the moment. Did it, did you, like, how was that for you? Did you feel like, because obviously you can easily get, you know, excited by um, being there because it is exciting to be and seeing models and seeing collections and seeing people within the industry, but also just like seeing your journey. How was that for you? Were you able to like, piece things together that you've read about as well and actually think oh that's how it looks like or- oh yeah because that's the fascinating thing because i've heard so the problem with like reading is you read about certain things and how it's described is really how the like journalist or the writer saw it so then what happens is you paint a picture in your head of what everything looks like or what something's supposed to be and then when you actually experience it you start weighing up in your mind, oh, so this is how it was described, interesting, or this isn't how it painted a picture in my head, and I found that quite fascinating. Yeah, that's true, and I guess we'll come back to to that, but um, maybe a challenge or difficult obstacles that you've had to kind of overcome? Yeah, so a big challenge is just the way people work in the fashion industry, because in the Mm. fashion industry, it's kind of the type of industry where, like, you're expected to work unpaid over time. The hours are crazy. Like going to work at eight thirty, leave at like nine ten. I've done that so mm-hmm. many times, and that's just like normalized. So mm-hmm. the way people work is insane. Like the workload sometimes makes absolutely no sense. And then also just more so the people in the industry mm-hmm. because the fashion industry still is very elitist and also extremely ultra white so being mm. a black face in the industry sometimes people have a problem with it just for me existing so yeah. that was another thing I had to learn to navigate yeah I can definitely um relate to having that feeling and being in those scenarios um but also just um the elitism that you've spoke about like being an intern or being like a, a nameless face no one really knows you you kind of get overlooked and you don't you know it's hard to navigate those spaces um but you kind of have to remember why you're there and you kind of just have to um use it to your advantage as best as you can yeah and going back how you said about in your in your highlights like being in an, in a scenario and then realizing oh you've read about it and it's like oh that it does really exist and going into the industry and doing all these internships and things is the industry what you expected it to be like or is it been more or has it been a letdown I think the industry isn't as mean as I expected it to be Mm -hmm. because I read so many things about like just mean journalists and stuff and like different times like anytime journalists don't understand something in fashion historically they just destroy it so Mm -hmm. I expected it to be a bit more cutthroat so luckily it isn't as bad as like I painted the picture in my head and yeah I just the industry it seemed like just reading about it and being on the outside looking in it seems like an impossible industry to get into but actually you meet one person and then through that person you meet someone else and then eventually you learn to like navigate the industry so if anything it's Mm. more positives from my expectations than negatives yeah yeah I think even in like fashion schools and education like sometimes you do get people that are very like catty and things but a lot of the time people are really friendly and very eager to kind of tell you what they know and share and give you advice and um so let's kind of go back to your fashion journalism um journey and how it's going so far um it's going great actually I obviously just started my course at Centre St Martins 
I've barely been on that for a month, but that's really, really good. And I've managed to be in talks with like a few magazines. I'm starting to write for a few magazines. So I like where that's going. And also I'm working on my own magazine. So I feel like it's going well for the most part. Nice. And it's exciting to hear like you, you're like doing your own magazine because a lot of the time people might feel a bit hesitant and might think, okay, let me get a degree first and then show that I'm qualified and start this magazine. But it's really inspiring that you're saying actually, I'm just beginning, but let me, you know, throw myself into the deep end and actually do it. So what kind of inspired you or um, gave you that kind of uh, motivation to say, okay, I'm going to do it in the beginning of my degree as well? Um, It's mainly because I feel like at least what I want to write about, I've done enough research on it. And at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, like the degree thing, I did have imposter syndrome at first when I started like my YouTube channel and stuff. But over time, I've realized there's people with degrees and stuff and they even get stuff wrong. I mean, there's Vogue Mm -hmm. magazine issues with the whole team where they get people's names wrong and where they're from wrong. So, I mean, if they, with all their qualifications, can still make mistakes like that, then I shouldn't feel bad like making a magazine. So. Mm -hmm. For me, it was yeah. more, yeah. it was to counteract because in my head, everyone complains about like how, for example, black people don't get work in the fashion industry. Um, if we do get work, they just put us on like as they pick a few black models that everyone can see, but no one that works behind the scenes is black and all that stuff. Mm. And in my head, I was just like, instead of complaining, I might as well just make my own magazine and then make it a platform where I can like give work to people like who don't normally get work Mm -hmm. so that was kind of the starter for that and it's kind of expanded like in the future with future issues hopefully I can get funding for it I plan on covering fashion in different countries Mm -hmm. so like go to a country that is practically unknown in terms of fashion and just navigate the whole fashion scene and write a magazine about the whole experience in that country yeah um and yeah, it's it's not something I've seen in the industry either. So it was more of just a thing where I just wanted to add something new. Yeah. And I think also like your approach to um, documenting like fashion shows and, and talking about designers is that you're very in-depth and you're very um, analytical. Like you don't just look at it surface level, like you like to dig deeper and um, kind of unravel like the references or kind of talk more about the, the designer's history. And is that also an element of, um, the magazine that you want to go deeper than what we see in um, other kind of fab- um, fashion publications yeah the thing though is like I feel like every magazine has a selling point so mm-hmm. I don't want my magazine to be like my YouTube channel only because then it's like you you might as well just watch the YouTube channel so it's like yeah I'm I feel like journalism and it hasn't been this for a while you're as a journalist you're supposed to seek new stories so, like, even mm-hmm. at Central State Martins, for example, a thing they tell us, if we pitch a story at school and then our lecturer searches up on the internet and finds that story, our journalists will say, that's that's tired. I've seen five magazines mm-hmm. write about that story. If you write about that, you will fail. And that's because you're yeah. teaching us to come up with our own ideas and be innovative. And in the fashion industry, mm-hmm. you don't see that. Like, all the magazines cover the exact same topic over and over again so I think for my magazine it's about chasing new stories and that goes back to the whole thing about designers that are unknown covering their work or creatives that are unknown covering their work or going to countries that 
the fashion scene is not documented in any regard and going mm-hmm. through the fashion scene there i think that's that's more the selling point of my magazine more like if you want mm-hmm. to learn something completely new that you haven't seen before then that's what our magazine's for magazines play a big part in helping to um build on our research and if you you in your magazine are kind of going to places that are not seen and documenting places that are not really focused will also kind of enrich the whole um fashion process because you're bringing something new to the table which then other people can be inspired by i think that's really cool i guess my next question would have been um what would you want people to take away from this but i guess you've kind of answered that in the last (laughs) question (laughs) um which is fine but yeah and i also um like just going back to the idea of covering um different stories and different and chasing kind of new stories um do you still see yourself you know responding to that in the same format as a magazine um that like the traditional way of magazines or do you want to play on that a little bit more um so what do you mean by that sorry so you could have like images of um where you've been and that can just be like the one page an image with a little caption so how do you do you still want to keep it in that format which is fine but do you see yourself maybe maybe having like a page that is written by the natives rather than you having a journalist going there and um, writing a piece about that place would do you see yourself maybe having native designers or, or sourcing out journalists that are native to the land to kind of contribute to the pieces in your magazine yeah. so the plan is obviously i like i'm in two minds about saying this because I don't want people to steal my idea because <laughs> that's what fashion people do. So if um so the plan is to make a documentary where I go in addition to the magazine. So mm-hmm. the whole point is I'm interviewing people and in some mm-hmm. respects some of the interviews will be like transcription. So really it is just them saying things in their own words and it being written down into mm-hmm. the magazine. And then other times that's kind of what the documentary is for like in terms of people having a voice to speak because with a documentary you can film what they're doing and they can tell you what they're doing and they get that platform that way Mm -hmm. yeah because I think like you've mentioned before that the idea of not having um a lot of people representing um a lot of representation within the industry means that a lot of the content that we're seeing is really like one-sided but in having documentaries and having and allowing people to have a voice that's not been edited or changed by somebody kind of allows um, for your work to be more diverse, but also for your for different voices yeah. to be heard. Yeah, I think I was also going to say, um, like, what's their vision and end goal for the magazine? But I think um, I don't think I want to know just yet. <laughs> I think I just want to see <laughs> how kind of things pan out from from here. So we'll probably skip that one for now. Yeah, so I just want to maybe just focus a little bit on um, approaches to fashion because there are many approaches and people are open to having their own approach. You know, there's some people that are very like involved with like luxury and they want to, that's their kind of appeal to fashion. But there are some people that really like to know the in-depth and the story behind a garment. And I think um, for me, I probably like more in like the in-depth story behind the garment whether it's an old garment whether it's a garment that was passed on by a grandfather and those kind of stories for me is, excite me and um but I think that's why I connected so much with the, your content on, on YouTube because you kind of um unraveled those stories and you've kind of like researched the the, the vision behind um, certain collections and things and I just wanted to ask you like um why is that so important to you I think it's important to me because of how I got into 
fashion through my friends who I was like, mm-hmm. what they are talking about is so far away from the way I think it's unbelievable. So, like, I feel like mm-hmm. there's obviously majority of people don't understand that there's more to fashion than just, like, putting on a jacket and then looking pretty. And on mm-hmm. YouTube as a platform, for example, the people that are the most famous in terms of fashion all make videos that are about, like, ways to wear white trainers or, like, stuff like that, which is also mm-hmm. good, but, like, the the viewpoint that it creates and the narrative it creates is very one-sided. So I thought mm-hmm. by through what I'm doing, I can kind of create a balance and then get people to understand that mm-hmm. there's more to fashion because I think when people understand that, they'll have more respect for certain things they see. For example, some people are just like, if they see, I don't know, a Dior jacket, they'll be like, why would anyone spend that much money on a jacket? But then if you understand that all the creativity and all the work goes into making that jacket that then influences the whole fashion industry, which trickles down to what you see in fast fashion stores, then you can start, Mm -hmm. if you have loads of money to spend, you can start to buy into the original ideas and support the original work rather than Mm -hmm. basically support a legal loophole, which is what fast fashion brands do when they copy designs. And there's so many other aspects to it, like it's the luxury brands that are doing all the brand research. Think of brands like Elite, for example, with the way they dye clothing and they use less water, or um, Elite is working on like blockchain technology. And all this stuff, it all starts from the luxury brands and when you buy a piece from them Mm -hmm. you're not just buying into the clothing itself you're buying into the research they're doing in terms of sustainability you're buying into ways they're improving the industry as a whole so it's Mm -hmm. just i feel like there's there's so many aspects of fashion that people need to understand just to understand that fashion isn't just some very tiny linear thing yeah but I also think the downfall to um, perhaps not necessarily fashion, but clothing is that it's so, one, it's mundane. And it's not, not necessarily like every garment is mundane, but the fact that everybody needs oh, yeah. to wear a piece of garment to be in society, kind of like, it's almost like everybody has it. So it's like, why should it, why does it need to be um, expensive if it's it's a necessary requirement? You know, it's like, it's like water or it's like the air that we breathe so um because clothing is that to people you know we need it to wear to be a part of civilized well i say civilized lightly um (laughs) to be part of society and then people kind of like discount the fact that actually it's a craft and it takes time and it takes a lot of thinking and it takes a lot of energy and um which is why I kind of, when you mentioned about um, the long hours, yes, they are in comparison to other industries. Yeah, they do seem kind of ludicrous. But if you are committed to it and you have a passion for it, those long hours, you want to do them because you you know the end right. result is worth it. Um, I'm going down <laughs> a tangent there. But <laughs> the point that I'm making is that because everybody wears clothes, people neglect the fact that it can be so expensive or it people can put a price on it that's quite high just because of the 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 um 
well not always because sometimes it's just yeah. high for the sake of being high but because of like the process that's gone behind it and I guess that's also the exciting part for you because then you get to discover like the exciting um projects that they're working on or um the the different collectives that they're kind of creating to tackle big problems like um um global warming or um a lot of the um the exportation that's happening you know all over the world yeah um, I, I have so much to say about that as well because um the first thing and this goes back to education is that it is inhumane how low some fast fashion brands charge for clothing for a t-shirt to be like two pounds it means that someone has worked as a slave somewhere in the world for them to be able to justify such a low price Mm -hmm. so if you're buying a t-shirt for two pounds it really means someone was paid cents by the hour in bangladesh or china wherever they were paid so at the end of the day we have an unrealistic expectation of how much things are supposed to cost and this also comes from how people see clothing because people want to wear new outfits all the time and change their wardrobe all the time so they buy like all this really cheap clothing that doesn't really last and then they throw it away when in actuality we're not really supposed to have that many clothes like if you have a few shirts a few trousers a few jackets that's enough you don't need to have 50 jackets so it's another thing Mm -hmm. where if we were used to consuming less but just having quality clothing everything would balance out but that all Mm -hmm. comes it comes back to education and the lack of education there's a good book. It's called The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction. It's by Walter Benjamin. And the mm-hmm. book is essentially talking about, this is very specific to like photography, art and film, but you can relate what he was saying to any other aspect of life. When people are able to participate in something, so an example they used in the book was um, because everyone can watch a movie, they start to overlook what goes into a movie. It's because everyone can participate in making of a movie because everyone now has a camera on their phone. So then everyone thinks Mm -hmm. like, why would you pay a photographer £10,000? I could do that on my phone. So when people can just participate in a certain thing, it makes everyone feel like they're an expert at it when they're not. Mm -hmm. And that's why he used examples for like photography, for example, with what I just said, or film. And you can relate that back to fashion because everyone can participate in fashion because everyone has to wear clothes. Everyone thinks Mm -hmm. they're an expert in fashion in the same way, which then comes with the lack of education. And then people are very, they think in a very narrow way when it comes to fashion. And then they are part of the problems that they claim they dislike, for example yeah that's that's like a good point that you've highlighted like you were saying that every if because well, the point that i'm trying to look at is there yes there are the consumers who are consuming all the products that are being made but there are also the companies that yeah. think that they can do it and i guess that's also the element of design because you have a designer who's committed to their craft and they want to produce things that are very specialized in but then you also have companies that have access to the industrial machines they have access to ways of producing the clothes which is then that which that is then producing like um fast fashion because they're not claiming to be designers but they are manufacturing clothes the same way a designer is manufacturing clothes but on a a smaller scale so 
um, not just to look at the consumerists, but there's also a sense of responsibility for those people who are mass producing those, those clothing. And how do you then kind of compare them to, not necessarily compare them, but um, look at then a designer because the designer has to make clothes. And when they're making clothes and they're producing ideas, there has to then be a response, no? Where people then can say, okay, I want to buy your, your bag because I like it. But if 10, 15, 20, you know, thousand people then come and say, I want this bag. Some designers then say, actually, we're going to mass produce this bag because there's such a big response which then are we not then, you know, adding to that problem of um, just because the bag that they're creating has a lot of like skills and a lot of yeah. te technicalities to it and belongs to this designer, it's still, a, you know, it's yeah. still mass production. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I, yeah, think I don't know what you think about that. consumers dictate the market personally. I don't think we should ever look to like companies because honestly companies the bottom line for companies mm -hmm. is money so companies are going to mm -hmm. do whatever makes them money so if the consumers collectively decide we're not going to buy clothing unless you pay your staff a livable wage and people genuinely don't buy anything from those companies they will be forced mm -hmm. to have to change their stuff otherwise they're not going to make money which is what they really care about Otherwise, they're just going to continue doing what yeah. they're doing. Like, no matter what anyone says or what anyone does, if it makes them money, they're going to continue doing it till it doesn't. So I think the way to combat it is to educate consumers more than speak to companies. So that's, that's yeah. it's a very cynical mindset to have, but it's just how I feel the world is. It's the same thing with, like, other brands that exploit people like Amazon. Amazon how what they do mm -hmm. makes the money so they're not going to change their mind unless people stop using amazon to protest against it and then they lose i don't know billions yeah. over the course of a month then they'll be like okay guys if we continue this way we're, we're this company's going to close down so we have to make a change i think those are the type of things that forces mm -hmm. change and forces companies to change and obviously this is a very, very long process to educate how many people on like the true effects of fashion and the environmental aspects of it. So it's not like something that's going to happen overnight. No, no, 100%. There's always going to be an element of, um, of people consuming, but it's just we need to kind of reduce the amount. But also in terms of like fashion design, a lot of fashion of what fashion design is is that I make a garment for yeah. somebody then to consume. Um, so I think there's always going to be that relationship where people want what you have, but then there are other responses to it that are not necessarily like um, fast fashion. You know, like back in like World War Two when it was like you know make yeah. do and amend, or there was um, where where you could buy a pattern and make it with your in your own like fabric. Um, that kind of helps to reduce, you know, um, fast fashion, but you're still getting the design and you're still getting the silhouettes and the look that you saw on the runway, but you're getting it more maybe sustainably. So, um, yeah, it's, for me, I find it quite, yeah, it's not a very straightforward way, like you were saying, and it is going to take a really long, not a really long time, but a long time to kind of combat those issues. But it's really difficult when you consider fashion being something yeah. that is consumed. Because it can't just stay in your wardrobe um, or in the back <laughs> um, or on the wall like a piece of art. I mean, it, you know, there have been designers that tell us that, but yeah. it's not like a painting, you know? It has to be worn, it has to be felt. 
So there's a functional element, but how do we do that? Yeah, um, sustainability is so complicated. Um, it's something I could talk about for years, but I think like another aspect to it is when you, for example, when designers create clothing, some designers create clothing that has a lifespan so that people buy more, which is a big issue. It's like what Apple does. Apple has been, mm-hmm. there have been studies showing that Apple deliberately put a lifespan on their product. They don't design it to just mm-hmm. like last as long as physically possible. They design it to have a specific lifespan so you have to buy another iPhone. And that goes back to mm-hmm. companies once again, a motive, because it's great you brought up World War II because after World War II, when people had no money people are making their own clothing and if you make your own clothing Mm -hmm. you start to learn about fabrics you learn what a high quality fabric is like so then when you sew it together you're Mm -hmm. sewing it properly you're stitching it together because you're making it yourself and those things lasted forever there are still i have a friend who worked at a vintage store and they source things from like world war one world war two and he has jackets from the 1940s that literally look good as new. Even the dye isn't fading. And it's like, there's things you buy today and the dye's fading after like a few months of wear. So it's like, it's even, mm-hmm. and that goes back to education once again, but it's like, if people could learn to make their own clothes or if people could learn more about the fabrics, then it would force the industry into making high quality garments because the consumer's, would not accept anything less yeah 100 percent. and also um people would value their garments more not just monetary but like the technicality of a garment as well would be valued more therefore they take care take more care of it and also cherish it for longer because they value it beyond oh yeah. it, it costs dot 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 zeros you know 